Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Good morning, good morning. It's Monday, May the 1st. May Day, May Day. You know, we make much of saying that. Um, Crying out in distress. And so Psalm 7 verse 1 seems quite an appropriate verse of the day today. Psalm 7 1 uh, is a person crying out in their distress. I come to you for protection, O Lord my God. Save me from my persecutors rescue me. We actually have a story of rescue this morning. And so um, let me let me unpack that for you here at the at the open, because it's news you're definitely going to hear in in the headline news of the day out there in the world. And a lot of people might be talking about it. And so as we bring the mind of Christ to bear on what's happening in the world, let's do a story of rescue, a little bit of an unusual one when we think about rescue. Let me tell you about the failure overnight of the third American bank since March to fail. And then let me tell you at the beginning, help came from the outside and there was a rescue that ensued and promptly at the opening bell today, all of the 84 branches of the failed bank will open as a part of another bank. So that's how the rescue unfolded. I mean, literally since midnight. So the California Department of Financial Protection uh, and innovation, said that it took possession of First Republic Bank and then appointed the FDIC, right, as its um, as its holder. The FDIC, which is the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, received First Republic and and then promptly turned to accept the bid of J.P. Morgan Chase, which had been in the works for weeks, so that without missing a beat all of First Republic's assets and its uninsured deposits, they weren't in limbo. They were transferred from one holder, First Republic, through the FDIC to J.P. Morgan Chase. So that means that today, each and all of First Republic Bank's 84 offices in eight different states will reopen as branches of J.P. Morgan Chase. Um, Normal business hours. Friends, that's extraordinary. Like, if you were concerned that Things weren't working right and everything was broken. Here, here is something that actually worked extraordinarily well. All depositors of First Republic Bank have now become depositors of J.P. Morgan Chase. They will have full access to all of their deposits. If a bank is going to fail, this is pretty much the best case scenario I can think of. And it seems like, it's going to seem like it all happened overnight, but it didn't. The rescue plan... And the protection of depositors has been in the works for some time now. The bank was honest about its problems. The government asked private industry to help. They did. And no panic was created. And business will proceed as usual. What can we learn from this? 
How might me how might we apply this in our own lives today? Well, if there's a problem that you know you can't resolve on your own and you're trying to keep it hidden, what might happen if you were just honest about it and asked for help? The psalmist knows he's in a situation he cannot resolve for himself. If help does not come from the outside, he's lost. He turns to God for protection. But note how he addresses God. Oh, Lord, my God. There's a prior relationship here. This has been in the works for some time. It might seem like it's happening in a moment, but there's a long-term relationship here. There's a foundation to build on. This salvation request, save me, rescue me, comes in the context of a relationship between a man who knows he cannot save himself and the knowledge of the power and the love of a God who certainly can. So if you're in a situation today where you know you cannot rescue yourself and you want to cry out for help, to whom will you cry? From whence will your help come? Friend, if the problem is sin, there's only one big enough to rescue you from the spiritual bankruptcy ahead. Do you have a relationship with him? Is he your Lord and your God? I invite you to turn to God today in humility and repentance. Allow God to answer your cry for help and rescue you. Open your heart to him. He is literally waiting to answer you in your distress. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. Dave Buring is going to join us next, and we're going to talk about the transformed life. What is the proof of transformation? Like, how do you, how do you know that you're living a transformed life? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. We're having an ongoing conversation with our friend Dave Buring from LionShare. You can find what we're talking about today at lionshare.org. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, Carmen. All right. So we're in the midst of our conversation about the transformed life. And we've talked mm-hmm. about, um, you know, what what a transformed life means and the priority of it. Um, let's today talk about the proof of it. How can we and how can the world around us really know that we have been transformed by Jesus? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And I think it's one that we can honestly wrestle with within ourselves and within our conversations and our relationships. And when I think about it, Carmen, I think of a passage in John 13 in the verses 34 and 35, and it says, a new commandment I give to you, this is Jesus speaking, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another by this All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so I think that the core part there is as followers of Jesus, do we love each other? And then I think, you know, then there's the swing out to the world around us. Do we love the people in the world around us? So I think that's that's a good biblical reference point to say, have I been transformed inside? Okay, so I think that the follow-up question is, well, what is love? Because that is a big confused term in our day. Is it ever? So if I get really practical with it, there's two ways that I can measure this. Um, one is it's laying your life down 
for somebody mm-hmm. else. And that doesn't mean, by the way, that, hey, I'll take a bullet for you, you know, which oftentimes you never have to deal with in, you know, our lifespan. It's just laying laying our agendas down to serve somebody else's needs. So there's, or my there's like, that. Or my like sense of right to something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah so it's kind of, um, so maybe let's add that word entitlement or agenda, mm, mm. Uh, my, my own priorities. And it doesn't mean like, okay, I'm not going to pay my bills so I can lay my life down. for. No, it's not that. It's we're still responsible. But there is a, there's an attitude of choosing others. So, so the second definition I like to reference on love is, is it's choosing someone's highest good. And so, you know, when you wrestle that one through it, it's, it's pleasant on the front end of, okay, well, I choose their highest good. It's their birthday today. Let me do something that's blesses them. But when you deal with someone's sin issues and you're trying to choose their highest good, it takes a little bit more nuance, a little bit more listening to the Lord on how, how does that look? What does that look like? So I, I think laying your life down for someone and choosing someone else's highest good are some biblical kinds of definitions that we see expressed in Jesus of love. Dave, we might hear today um, from somebody, well, you don't, you don't love me because you don't agree with me. Like you don't right. affirm everything that I think and, and I do. So you don't love me. When we come mm-hmm. back, can we, you and I talk about what love is and what it looks like by God's own self-expression. Can we look at first Corinthians 13? Sure. Yeah, let's do that. Um, we're talking with Dave Buring, and we're talking about the proof of transformation. Like it, it's 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 one thing to like know you're a disciple of Jesus. You have followed him. You are following him. That means you are being changed by him. And and there's there's this process of transformation. We've talked about that from revelation through obedience to transformation. We talked uh, about the priority of transformation. I loved the Dallas Willard quote in relationship to that. Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. And today we're talking about the proof of transformation. How, how can you and the whole world actually know that we are being transformed by Jesus, that we are his followers in the world today? We're going to continue our conversation with Dave Buring, and we're going to be answering that question using what love looks like from 1 Corinthians 13. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show featured on the Faith Radio Network. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share at MyFaithRadio.com. My guess is you spend a fair amount of time on social media. So where do you spend your time? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube? Well, have you followed or liked Faith Radio on those platforms? I would invite you to do so. I'm there as well. If you want to check out uh, my personal pages, you could connect with me individually. We would love to have you uh, use the resources that we have produced and are creating and posting on social media for you to share with others. We got all kinds of stuff from graphics to, you know, Bible verses. I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff. Go check it out on your social media. Connect with us on Faith Radio social media. And, you know, let's get the word out to others. All right. Back to the show. Again, thanks for listening. Love connecting with you at MyFaithRadio.com. We're continuing our conversation with Dave Buring from Lion Share. 
I don't know that we've ever just flat out told people, Dave, like Lionshare is a disciple making ministry, but it's vocationally based. And so since this is May Day, which in most places around the world is like Labor Day, maybe you could mm-hmm. just talk about the value of Christians and their witness in every vocation um, before we jump back into our Transformed Life series and the proof of transformation. Sure. So I think, you know, the Bible talks about us being salt and light in the world around us. And let let me lump that under maybe a broader term that we call evangelism, where it's just the way that you live your life, the way that you have conversations, it's sharing your faith with Jesus with people that don't yet know him. What we do with Lion's Share is kind of go a step, the next step, and it's looking at who are fellow followers of Jesus that you maybe walk with in your vocation, but they haven't maybe had the opportunity to be developed with spiritual maturity. And so what we do is we come alongside, whether in government, arts, media, business, education, I mean, you name it, it, it we're, we tend to be there, is coming alongside of them and helping them grow not only spiritually, but vocationally. And what I mean like what I mean by that is not job training, but what I mean is like, how do I, how do I look at what I do for a living in my vocation? How do I look at that through the lens of expressing God through that, which is not wearing your I love Jesus t-shirt to work, but it might be the way that you're a really good relator or that you're the first one to step up when the boss says, Hey, I need someone to kind of step into this. It's, it's the excellence in which you do things. It's the character that you reflect. And, and so what we do is we come alongside people, particularly younger leaders, and have older leaders walk alongside them and disciple them both spiritually and vocationally. So that's a, that's a piece of what we do. Yeah, so you can check it out at lionshare.org. It's in book form called The Great Opportunity, Making Disciples of Jesus in Every Vocation. Um, Dave teaches a six-month leadership intensive for vocational leaders called Leadership Journey. And he's also um, on their podcast, Wisdom Unlocked, The Ways of God. So those might be some ways that you might be interested in engaging. Again, lionshare.org. Um, all right, Dave, back to our um, Transformed Life series and the proof of transformation. If love is like the primary way that Jesus says the world is going to know his followers, then what is love, at least according to the way God unpacks it in 1 Corinthians 13? How do we apply that? Yeah, and I I think you're bringing up a really important question, Carmen, because as you mentioned earlier, love love is being twisted and it's Mm -hmm. being, you know, pulled in directions that I don't think God ever intended it to go. And, And it often ends up being you know, a me first kind of thing where love in itself is is a laying down your own self for somebody else. And so oftentimes when it's accept me for this, accept me for that, you know, there's there's a reality here of of like love in its essence is choosing someone else's highest good. And we might think that can be just, hey, yes, and we should. I I would let me take a time out and say, I do believe we need to accept people where they're at as a starting point. There is no question about that. This is where someone is, whether they're struggling or they're wrestling with this or that. But then love wants people to walk in the fullness of who God intended them to be. You love desires someone to walk where they feel stuck. 
into a place of freedom. Um, I need people to love me if I feel like they see some place of Dave's, it looks like he's kind of being deceived in what he believes about that, you know? Mm. And in the essence, there's a, there's community is around love. It's love is not a solo thing that it's, it's just all about me and what I want. And you all have to just um, cooperate with that. There's actually a whole lot more to it. Um, For example, let me just throw one at you is it, it starts in 1 Corinthians 13 with love is patient. And in the original language, like in the New Testament, Greek was the original language. And so you kind of dig into that all this. Well, what, like, what's that word mean? And love is patient. It talks about a long patience where it, it's a patiently enduring, slow to get angry because you are suffering long with the person. So it's, it's a decision to not give up on someone. And this specific kind of patience can often refer to a restraining of power. In other words, it's when you have the right and ability to pull a power play maybe on somebody, but, but you choose not to. And so, like, are we patient with each other? Like, even in our growth, like, I think, come on, hurry up, hurry up. Come on, you should know this. You should, and, and there's times that we need to recognize, all right, a little bit of patience here. Let's not abandon them. Let's not pull a power play on them, but let's continue to love them through patience. So that's, you know, and again, we have to look at this through the lens, not just of how I want it to be received related to my own life, but how I do this for somebody else. There's so much humility in that, because if you are a person further along in any way than another person, so... I mean, for, further along, ahead, advanced, above them on the ladder, whatever. Patience means I restrain myself from sort of lording it over them that I'm further along than they are, recognizing mm-hmm. that it wasn't that long ago that I was where they are. And mm-hmm. walking with someone in the journey of discipleship often means I wait. And thank God that Jesus kept going back and like waiting on the path. He could have, you know, he he obviously could have just sprinted and done all that he did, but he walked at a pace that others could keep up with. He entertained their questions. Um, I mean, he demonstrated such humility in in the patience of his love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you know, there's a. Um, over the years, there's been these conversations around judging and not, you know, judging me. And there, there's a portion in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount where it says, don't judge lest you be judged. And the, the meaning of that there is more around like your eternal destiny, your salvation. Like we have no place to be judging someone's, are they going to heaven? Are they going to hell? That's mm. only God's call. So that it doesn't mean don't like examine my life. And matter of fact, there's another portion in Corinthians where it talks about those who are spiritually mature judge all things. And what that means is discerned. It's like there are things that we're supposed to discern according to, okay, what does God's word say versus what is happening here? And so the key here is, is that when we're in that discerning process, we still need to be enveloped in love. We still need to be saying, okay, I need to be patient here. I need to be kind. 
you know, which is really coming alongside someone to be beneficial or useful to them. It's not just being nicey nice. It's actually benefiting the person's life. It's you're laying your life down to benefit theirs. And so there's a lot of the pieces of this comment, I think, in the world we live in today where we hear stretches of what we think love is. And again, everybody wants to be accepted. There is no question like like people can wrestle with that their whole lives of the lack of acceptance and we can find community in different places the key is is the community that we're walking in and is the relationships that we're having based on truth and and not just kind of well is that you know my perspective of truth no it's actually god's perspective of truth and where you've introduced us here in first corinthians 13 gives us a real sense of what love is based on truth Mm. All right. I know that you're listening and you want the whole study. So um, you can either go to lionshare.org. You're looking for the Transformed Life series. If you shoot me a text at 877-933-2484, I'll send you the direct link to your phone so you can just grab it that way. Um, Dave, as always, thank you so very much. Um, I want to conclude with this. Dave always asks two questions at the and it's really not the end of every conversation, but that's the way I'm going to lay it out here today. What did the Holy Spirit reveal to you today? Like, write, write that down. You could write it in a, um, in a dry erase marker on your mirror so that tonight you can ask yourself that question. What did the Holy Spirit reveal to me today? And then how are you going to obey that in your life? It's not just about seeing and hearing and knowing. It's about obeying. How are we going to teach others to obey everything Christ has commanded us? If, once it's been revealed to us, we don't obey it ourselves. So what did the Holy Spirit reveal to you today? And how are you going to obey that in your life? Dave Buring, um, thank you so much for walking with us and teaching us uh, today about the transformed life. Have a good day, Carmen. You too, you too. The Transformed Life series, um, just really impactful and leads us to ask ourselves really good questions. And they are great questions to have in conversation with others. We'll continue that conversation with Dave the next time he joins us. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. Hey, again, I'm sending out uh, the direct link for the Transformed Life series at lionshare.org, but making it easy for you to find by just sending me a text at 877 933 All right, taking a deep breath this morning. It is May Day. I'm going to talk about how you are expressing Christ in your vocation today. Like it's the place, it's the experience where you spend most of your time, like literally the, the time. So at what are you laboring? That's actually what May Day is all about. It's like internationally, it's Workers Day. Um, It's the day that commemorates like struggles and gains made by laborers, workers. Um, It's a good day to talk about the reality of work. And work predates the fall in terms of God's plan for us. Like reread Genesis 1 and 2 and say to yourself, oh, huh, God actually always intended that we work. So if you're not working at something productive, something productive, what are you doing? How are you tilling the garden of the culture that it might produce a harvest of righteousness. Like if you're saying to yourself, well, I'm on the sidelines of 
like work that actually gets paid, um, you ought to still be working. Like never in the scriptures does it say God's people just get to sit on their get on just to sit on the sidelines and not do anything. Like we were actually created to work. So if you're no longer doing maybe work that is for the kind of gain that people are looking for in the world, right? Material gain. How are you working for spiritual gain? How are you tilling the soil? Um, How are you growing in grace? How are you investing what God has placed under your stewardship? Um, It's not your stuff. It's not your money. It's all God's. So how are you using it to cultivate a harvest of righteousness in the world that God so loves? Work only became toil, and we only became possessors of things after the fall. So it's a good day to consider those things. Mayday, mayday, mayday. And why we cry out that when we are in distress, which takes us back to the call of the psalmist in our verse of the day today. All right, there's some things to roll around in your mind as we are um, looking forward and anticipating our conversation with Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. I'm just going to straight up ask him, like, what are Christian colleges for? Like, what, what are they for and why do we need them? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Yesterday was Senior Sunday at our church, and the first, like, six of 20-some kids that went forward to just share what they're doing next year, the first six of them are all going to Baylor. I wonder if it's because that's where Adam Carrington went to school. He joins us now from Hillsdale College, where he teaches. I know. Go Bears. That's all I have to say about that. Good morning, Adam. Have you been recruiting? Well, they'll learn to say Sikkim Bears when they get there. They probably did. (laughs) <laughs> they probably did. Well, it's 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 a good school. I, I was very it's happy with at our time there. So they've clearly uh, no. been they've clearly been recruiting. I don't know. I, I say in my neighborhood, but I, the, yeah. Anyway, so there you go. Um, Dr. Carrington, good morning. I'm glad to be here with you. We're we're actually you said Senior Sunday. We're finishing up classes this week. Today and tomorrow are the last days, and. Uh, especially poignant because there's, I've got a lot of seniors in one of my class. So I'm trying to mm. even now think about how exactly what's the last thing I want to sort of say to them in the classroom mm. setting. That tends to be a pretty special moment here, uh, or at least I've tried to make it so. So uh, how do you sort of send them off in a way that, um, you know, makes sense of hopefully what they've done here tells you how proud you are of them and, and gives them hope as they as they go from from this phase of life to the next phase. Mm. I went to a very secular undergraduate institution, um, but I did have one professor who, you know, along the way, I I sussed out was a Christian. Um, Christian colleges tend to be places where students who are Christians go and expect to be taught by Christian professors. Um, let's talk today about what are Christian colleges for? Like, what's the purpose? Yeah, why not just have all secular colleges? Why not just have the resources go to the church in a in a in a more particular way, or 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 or, or something like that? And I think 
a good place to start is that Christian colleges provide, in a particular way, spiritual growth, spiritual nourishment for persons that maybe the secular college route just isn't the best place for them to grow and develop at this point in their spiritual journey. And that might not be the case for everyone, but it may be something particular for uh, persons who are maybe young Christians or or just persons who in what what and how they want to study that environment is better. But I think an even broader idea is that I think Christian colleges therefore have something focused on that the other colleges might only touch accidentally. And and I was thinking of a uh, a letter that Saint Augustine wrote back in 412 A.D. So going all the way back then where he quotes the famous passage that Jesus says, uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So that's from Matthew 22, among other places. And he basically says, um, you know, about this familiar passage, an unfamiliar thing. He says, all philosophy is here. And he means by philosophy more all education is here. Because he then says, physics, ethics, logic, and goes on to say that in the end, all human knowledge that can be acquired is either knowledge of God and who he is and what he or knowledge of what he has done in his creation. So whether you're studying biology, you're studying the works of God, if you're studying ethics and politics, you're studying God's ordering of human beings for for the world, and obviously, if you're studying theology proper, you're studying who God is, and that I think Christian colleges have a special way of imaging that, articulating that, and even showing their more secular counterparts how all knowledge that's being studied is best understood as God's knowledge, either of him or of what he has done and said and what he commands. So I think that there is still a real place for them, not just for even particular persons, but for uh, people as a whole, uh, for the world as a whole, and that it's something that can equip the culture, it can equip the church, and that does so from that particular, I think, essential perspective. Mm, So good. Um, I will add a practical matter to the conversation At college, you meet the people with whom you build your first kind of adult network. And for many, many people, it's the place you meet the person you're going to marry. And so as you're listening right now and you're helping um, your children or grandchildren make a determination of, you know, where they're going to not only spend four years of their life, but um, where they are going to build their first network of, um, of national relationships and where they will most likely meet the person they're going to marry. Yeah, the choice of where you go to college is really, really critical. Um, I'd love to talk with you about um, not only what's going on at the southern border, but maybe more specifically the president's latest immigration move um, and what it has to do with the rule of law. So you um, you have uh, um, authored a piece on this, which people can read at WashingtonExaminer.com. Biden's last immigration move undermines the rule of law. Could you explain that to us? Right. And the he has um, what he has done is used a, um, a, a laws that are existing, but I think given a 
an interpretation or expansion of them that goes well beyond their intent and has allowed hundreds of thousands of, of persons in the country from countries that are trying to get in um, and, and, and done so through a variety of, of uh, sort of, I think, misusing of, of, of the law itself. And, and the thing I want to just say about these particular laws, without getting into the, all the particular like text or technicalities of them, is that uh, the bigger question isn't so much what your immigration policy should be. I try to make that case in the in the article. Do you think we should have a more expansive immigration policy? Should it be much more restricting? Uh, should we crack down on those who come across the border uh, without permission illegally? That's not so much the question as the idea of um, the, 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 the way we should adjudicate these questions is by following the laws that the people's representatives have passed and then therefore holding ourselves as a community uh, responsible to stick to the rules as we've made them. And I think what the president has done, the president is in a position where he is supposed to enforce the laws that the lawmaking branch Congress has made. And I think that what he has done has taken uh, – uh, uh, much more narrow laws, uh, much more laws that are supposed to be exceptions to broader immigration policies. And he's tried to make the exceptions, the rules by and and in doing so get around and has and they've sort of explicitly said this, the Biden administration get around the normal legislative process. And what that risks is making one man or one uh, non-legislative branch the lawmaking body. And again, I think ruling according to laws is really important. I think going back to even um, as Christians, God himself rules according to laws. Uh, he sets that kind of precedent and standard that there are rules and laws that are for our good. And I think that for us as human beings, we're all, while our laws will never be as perfect as his, in fact, they can often be very bad, um, having the standard that we rule according to those laws and according to the constitutional processes that we've set up is really essential. And I think that uh, whatever you think the immigration policy should be, my problem with the Biden administration's actions is more um, he should not be the one under our constitutional system setting this up. He should not be the one that is in some ways unilaterally lawmaking and doing so mainly because Congress has been gridlocked on this issue. I think Congress and the people voting for their members of Congress, they need to be the ones to really set what the policy is. Okay. Can I ask you a super practical question? Sure. Sure. Okay. So when we say that President Biden is doing this, like that, that seems silly on the face of it. Because there's no way one person, I mean, we say the Biden administration, um, maybe more accurately, because the president is not actually doing this, right? I mean, I mean I'm not saying President Biden. I'm saying no individual is actually doing the mammoth number of things that the administration is is credited or accused of doing on any given day. Right. And I think this is where, very interestingly, if you look at Article 2 of the Constitution— it says that the president's job is to it doesn't say to enforce the law. It's actually to it's to take care that the laws be faithfully enforced. 
meaning take care that they are being. And that's, I think, very specific or it, it, it's anticipating that what's going to happen is there is going to be a whole department of government that is going to be enforcing the laws. And there's going to be some parts of it that enforce some laws, some parts that enforce others. There's going to be employees with specific jobs, therefore, to do it. And the but the founders believe that in law enforcement was better done if there was one person at the top. And so to talk of the Biden administration is to say there are particular officials that are doing particular jobs. But unlike Congress, where the 535 members of Congress are technically equal constitutionally, I mean, they can vote for their own leadership and things like that, but they're constitutionally equal. In the executive branch, the president is by himself at the top, which me and his job is basically to oversee how the people below him are executing the laws and to tell them this is actually the real reason you have executive orders for him to tell the lower officers, I'm the one that is the ultimate source of your authority in the executive branch. Here's how I want the laws enforced. So on a major policy like this, yes, it's being carried out by executive branch officials, but um, if it, if things are running the way they should be, this was run by the president. And the question was, can you give us guidelines on how you as the head of this branch generally wants this done so that the lower officials can be in line with that? And and I think that um, uh, they, 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 the founders wanted that on purpose because they wanted an executive branch where there was clear lines of responsibility and they wanted uh, where necessary where that branch could be decisive. Uh, I, I often, uh, real quick uh, aside, I with my students will say, we, we talk about how it's great that Congress can deliberate and think together and that may take time, but they, they refine and make better laws. Imagine if the police department was run like Congress, where someone calls mm. and says, "I'm I'm in trouble. Here, come and help. I'm I'm, I'm you know I'm, I'm my my house is being broken into." And they say, "Okay, well we'll start a committee that will do some investigating, and let's do a report, let's do a debate, and then you know at that point the person's you know been 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 wronged. They, the the crime is over, and 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 they've been hurt." Uh, you want after laws have been made, you want an entity that is quick, decisive and 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 active and that's why you have a unitary executive on top of the apparatus of the executive branch rather than equal representatives it really is trying to say we're going to create an institution that follows the logic of the function we're trying to do and law execution requires swift decisive action whereas lawmaking requires slow deliberation that is so helpful i'm so glad um I'm so glad you helped us understand that. Um, that That's very, very helpful. All right, we're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Adam Carrington in just a moment. And we're going to talk about living consistently as Christians, reflecting Christ in his kingdom, not only, um, you know, in the private hour on Sunday morning behind closed doors in our church, but in our public witness, and then as public people in our private conversations. All that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Our spring fundraiser is officially finished, but there's still time to give. If you enjoy this podcast and want to fund more content like this, make a gift now by following the link in the show notes or visit MyFaithRadio.com. Thanks.
All right, everybody's talking about Tucker Carlson, so we ought to talk about Tucker Carlson as well. But how shall we talk about Tucker Carlson? Um, He was the absolutely most popular um, person on the Fox News channel when he lost his job. Um, And we could endlessly debate why he lost his job, and we wouldn't necessarily land on the truth of the matter because, you know, like, we didn't make the decision and we're not totally on the inside. Here's what we do know. Within an hour of posting his first public statement following the loss of his job, um, views of the video that he posted on Twitter um, far surpassed uh, views that he ever had in, um, in his slot on Fox News. And as of this morning, that one video that Tucker Carlson posted on Twitter has more than 79 million views. So people are clearly interested. People are watching and wondering. And I'm going to talk with Dr. Adam Carrington about the the difference or the importance of Christians being Christians in our private speech, which may well become publicly known, as well as what it looks like to actually be a Christian in front of the public eye. So can we have the Tuckle Carlson conversation in that context, Adam? I, I think that would be helpful since it's been held in a lot of other ways that I, I, I think are either maybe too speculative or not necessarily helpful to learn something one way or another from from the whole episode as it's unfolding. So, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we know from reporting, <laughs> excuse me, that Tucker Carlson has said some very offensive, even vulgar things um, about colleagues, about people in the um, in the public, many of whom he would platform on his show and treat in front of us as if he were their friend or liked them. I'm just thinking that the, this is just like the most basic hypocrisy. And so when we talk as Christians with one another about um, consistently reflecting Christ and his kingdom like it it doesn't matter what environment we're talking about and it doesn't matter if it's on your text messages or in front of millions of people like right we're going to be consistent in who we are as Christ people in the world absolutely and i was thinking of two verses uh when thinking about this one that was actually preached at my my church yesterday and that's from uh peter's uh, uh epistle uh first epistle where he says uh, keep your conduct among the gentiles honorable so when mm-hmm. they so that when they speak against you as evil doers they may see your good deeds and glorify god on the day of visitation uh the idea of keeping your conduct honorable so when they speak against you as evil doers meaning they will but why will they and I, I think you pair that with uh, in in the uh, in Matthew chapter five, uh, where Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, "Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake." Uh, notice, not persecuted at all, but persecuted for righteousness' sake. And I think it is saying that when you are um, Put yourself, uh, 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 show yourself to be a Christian or declare yourself to be a Christian. You are always on the spotlight and that you are in a world that is looking for ways to discount the gospel, ways to discredit the gospel, ways to ignore and reject 
it because we all want to be our own gods <laughs> rather than worship the true God. And I think both of these passages, Paul and and, and Jesus himself, are saying um, that's going to come, those accusations, but that we need to live lives as much as possible above reproach so that not just our words, but our, our actions are a witness. And know that, especially in a position when you are very public, what you think is internal or private uh, will come to light, as all things will come to light, Matthew 12 tells us. Uh, and I think that that is something that uh, uh, we're, we're seeing here as far as how you conduct yourself in the community. And and most of us are not Tucker Carlson. None of us are Tucker right. Carlson, unless he's, li- unless he's listening right right now. And if so, hello. Uh, but the uh but we are in positions of influence we are in positions of authority and we're in positions therefore where we're looked up to um you know myself in the classroom uh carmen you as a radio host but others as employers or as you know managers or or parents or you know other all sorts of other things and i think that this is a case where as we're critiquing uh, uh, Carlson for some of the things that are coming out, um, we, we I, this might be also a good place, and I think you were kind of inviting this, for self-reflection on mm-hmm. uh, what what do we need to do, what do we need to be to be salt and light that hasn't lost its salt and hasn't hidden its light under a bushel. Yeah, there's a little bit of log, log and splinter um, work to do here as well. Um, every time we consider critiquing someone else, um, particularly when we don't know all of the details. And certainly we don't and we won't. Um, So, Adam, as always, thank you so much. What a delight to spend time with you. Blessings as you say farewell um, to your students, particularly the seniors. May the Lord give you exactly the words that he would have you say to them um, in that final lecture. Thank you so much, Carmen. Thanks always for having me and blessings to you all. We love it. We love it. All right. That's Dr. Adam Carrington. You can find him at Hillsdale College. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. All right. A little exercise this morning, spiritual exercise. All those text messages, all of them, all your snaps, all your messages on WhatsApp and Facebook, um, all of them being read into the record. Do you care that God already sees and knows them? Or do you care more if they're read into the public record of the world's opinions? That might be a place to spend some time for each of us today. We got another hour up next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.